Let's go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. It's August 2, day 10 of the Games and move over swimming. It's time for athletics to shine. But before we look into track and field, let's talk about one of the superstars to emerge from the pool this game, Emma McKeon. What an extraordinary effort it has been by the super swimmer. She joins Ian Thorpe, Liesl Jones as Australia's most successful Olympians. Five gold, two silver, four bronze. I think she has more medals in some countries in these games just alone. As she's collected 11 Olympic medals over her career, five of which are gold. Her five gold match Ian Thorpe's the most in Australian history, which is an extraordinary performance. And then, of course, seven of uh, McKeon's medals were earned in Tokyo. Only one woman in any sport in history, Russian gymnast Maria Gorokovskaya in 1952, can match her haul of seven in one game. What a performance by the Aussie Superfish. You deserve a gold medal for that pronunciation. Well, I did have a look uh, for once at the uh, script that was put in front of me, and I know that's a, it's a long time ago, 1952. Yep. So there's uh, so much time it's amazing. To, to be able to absorb what that is, 70-plus years, uh, just outstanding. Yeah, and now alongside all the track and field events, we're also getting to the pointy end of a lot of the team sports. The Kookaburras are through to the semis in men's hockey while the Hockey Roos take on India this morning, which is pretty good timing because we've got a very special guest this morning. WA's elite athletes on the podium. Joining us now is a legend of hockey in Australia, a gold medalist, author, presenter and business director. She's part of the team that secured Australia's first ever team gold in any Olympics. She's Sally Carbon and she joins us right now. Thank you for having me. I'm quite um, excited but I'm also extremely nervous about what's going down today. What about the timing of this? Of course the Hockey Roos playing as we speak and they win, they advance, they lose it's all over. The cutthroat nature of Olympic hockey, you know what it's like Uh, the anxiety, the stress and even the heat over there in Tokyo it's all a, a cauldron and pressure is there. Absolutely and I have actually experienced both sides of this equation. One, going in and feeling the momentum and going through to that gold medal match and that's what you go away for to, to go through that journey right to the last day but I've also experienced four years later going to the Olympic Games as ranked number one absolutely sure bet yeah of course sure bet and then not even getting to play off for a medal and that we came fifth so that's Seoul and then Barcelona so I know exactly what it feels like at this point in time for both the kookaburras and the hockey roos as well. And what do you think temperature wise is having an impact on the teams over there? We know it's hot, we know it's humid. Do they just roll with that or is that going to play a factor as we're getting towards the end of this tournament? I would like to say it has absolutely nothing to do with it because you're an athlete, you've trained for four years, These, this, in this particular case it's five years, you're training for these conditions and every athlete is in, in the same boat. So we're going to the Olympic Games with absolute extreme fitness, so so what about the heat? Mm. Um, just updating, of course, the Hockey Roos down at the moment against India 1-0, but uh, still the first half and uh, a, a chance created just a few moments ago, a penalty corner, but uh, nothing for the Australians. What we do have to touch on, though, Sally, is that over the past 12 to 18 months, Australian women's hockey, particularly in the program, the coaching, etc., has been under heavy scrutiny. It's labelled uh, toxic culture. That has changed dramatically, and it seems for the better of the sport and the team. 
Yeah, well, one argument is um, when you go through a period of change, of course you escalate from that point in time, don't you? The second argument is that it wasn't right and we had to fix it up to go forward. So whichever one, and, you know, no one really knows, do you, whichever pathway you want. So without sort of saying negative things about the previous regime, we're now on the glasses half full and we've got the most fantastic environment where we've faced adversity as a you know sport and we're now bouncing back and we're going at a rate faster than we probably would if we were just going on the normal trajectory. And a lot has been said, not just in hockey, gymnastics as well, other sports, about what sort of coaching techniques are now maybe not as appropriate. Do you think there's a, been a change in mindset of the modern athlete compared to what was accepted, what was considered tolerable in your day? Yeah, and that's the case with anybody in the community, isn't it? We're, we're more mindful about what is right and wrong rather than just winning. So that's excellence going across the board. But one thing that's really standing out to me here, these Olympic Games and also what the Hockey Roos have been through in that gymnastics story, is the, the value of happiness like, um, and it's the same with all of us, you know, during sort of going through this COVID era as well. A happy athlete performs. And we, we forgot that for the last four Olympiads. We, we pushed everybody down. The community was not happy with Olympians. And, you know, we're now happy. And even to the extent that we're, wow, we're even allowed to swear in an interview after, the, <laughs> after our tri- triumph. And we laugh at it. And as Australians, we embrace that um, authenticity and uniqueness of a happy athlete. Speaking of coaching, and of course, one of the most famous coaches in Australian sport, Rick Charlesworth. Uh, such a smart man, such a, a decorated hockey player himself in a wonderful career. The vagaries of him and his personality. Um, tell us how that all yeah. worked. Yeah, I think you're going to disprove my theory of a happy athlete here. <laughs> Rick Charlesworth's nickname... Everybody called him grumpy. So that's sort of, you know, counterintuitive to a happy athlete. But one thing that Rick did extremely well was he was so intelligent in our methodology and the way the team performed. But then he had this unique ability to um, embrace the individual as well. And so if you were the type of individual who wanted to be intense, fine. If you're the type of individual who wanted to muck around, fine. And he did embrace that, you know, individual element of each athlete, which enabled people to be happy. And now looking at the Hockey Roos and the Kookaburras so far this Olympics, what have you liked about both of their performances? Are there things that you've highlighted maybe that they could be doing better? Yeah, well, as my heartbeat's quite elevated with the Hockey Roos right now, it's the same with the Kookaburras yesterday. And one thing that's really unique about the Kookaburras is they've got a coach, Colin Batch, who is just so in control, like to the extent that he's... um you know, he's not one of these wild um, swimming coaches who needs to grab a Hang glass. Hang on, you're saying he's not like Dean Boxall. He's more like uh, Richard Fox, who's the dad of, yeah. of Jess Fox, who sat there. His heart rate, I don't think, got it above 30 beats a minute. Yeah. He's just so relaxed. And, and Colin looks like that's, uh, that very calm, even-handed man. Even-handed. And he was like that. He played in the era where I played as well, and he was very even. But at the same time, steely des- desire to win. But um, his, his balanced approach filters through the kookaburras. Um, and I sort of, as a spectator, watch the kookaburras think, right, Colin's got this, which means the team's got this. Whereas Trini Powell, who was just the most magnificent striker, so aggressive and really got in there and played excited and upbeat, that's filtering through the um, hockey ruse at the same time. So we can really see the impact of the coaches on these teams. That's still 1-0 in the hockey, India over Australia, but the hockey ruse getting plenty of position in that game as we speak. Speaking to Hockey Roos Olympic gold medalist Sally Carbon Let's Go Tokyo. And I guess looking at these 2020 games now, surely the memories from Seoul must come flooding back. 
this games more than any other and I think it's because of the well, the environment that we're all in in Australia, that we're all sort of jumping in and looking for that happiness, which is excellent, but also because of the age I'm at, and that is that, you know, I've sort of finished running around crazy after the kids and I have control of my own work pattern and everything, that I have been glued to these Olympic Games, so I'm so into it more so than the last few. The other thing is, um, as a Olympian, and especially one that sort of had that sort of gold medal success and then the, the next Olympiad as well, I sort of got a bit upset about the Olympics and that's just being really honest and I dare say all the other Olympic Olympians are in the same boat and it takes a period of time to get over what you went through and come back and now I'm just so in and you know really supportive of the athletes and the movement as well. And do you think maybe part of that is this Olympics, more than probably any in recent memory, has been almost purely about the sporting achievements uh, themselves. We're not seeing stupid things happening in the crowd because there are no fans. We're not hearing about athletes who are getting up to mischief outside of the athletes' village because they're you not can't. allowed. <laughs> they're not allowed to leave. Trust it. me, they would if they uh, could. And they would if they could for sure. And so, it does, to me, it just seems to be the most pure exhibition of sport that I've seen at Olympics for a long time. Pure exhibition of sport, sp- sportsmanship. Um, the whole things that, that go with this as well because, you know, you watch some of these sports, for instance, and they compete as hard as they can, then they come off and they congratulate each other. There's not this rubbish that goes with it, you know, rah, rah, we're better than anybody else. And it goes back to the core of, you know, Pierre de Coupetan who set up the modern Olympics and he set up the modern Olympics because he wanted his country, France, to be robust and, um, you know, a bit more aggressive than it had been in the past but also to bring the whole world together. And this is the ultimate of bringing the whole world together. And we're really embracing the impact of that bring the whole world together. I guess I'm making a point far removed from sportsmanship and uh, the ethos of the Olympic Games. But when it comes to financial remuneration for athletes, we know across the various countries that places like Singapore, the lure of a million dollars, most other developed nations, in fact, have got Australia covered with regards to what athletes are rewarded for 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 winning medals. Uh, are we underpaying our athletes, so to speak, for, for performing? Where, where do we sit? Because some of these athletes will come home. We mentioned Emma McKeon and the like who've been outstanding, but financially, how rewarding will it be? It's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. We, as Australia, we okay look after our athletes, but we don't look after the impact of what sport has on the country. So you're right, Australia gold medalists, um, well, they'll get about $20,000. But when you sort of say JobKeeper, you get $44,000 a year and an Australian athlete who doesn't isn't eligible for any other funding gets 20000 You know, you've got to put that in perspective. The US um, a gold medalist will get 50000 equivalent Australian dollars and Australia out of all the countries is right down very lean. So the biggest message from, you know, what you're just asking me, Mark, is it's not actually about... You know, are these athletes getting paid? It's the fact that Australia isn't putting enough effort into high-performance sport, and that's not to look after the athletes, but that's to look after our country. Like, if we as a country really elevate the impact, the social impact, the economic impact, the educational impact of high-performance sport, wow, that's us as a country investing in it, which is different to investing in athletes. 
Which it's pr- a bigger story. Well, it's pretty clear right now, Sally, that the, the results in Tokyo are just having a massive boost to the national psyche. Like, national confidence, I think, has never been so high. But you talk about Singapore getting a million dollars for a gold medal. You want to guess how many gold medals Singapore has? I'd say zero. Yep, exactly. And, and that's, that's why, I mean, the Americans can't do that. And we know that. I think, I've got a feeling the Italians or Italians are uh, high, very high. Very high. And also, I've got a feeling mm-hmm. they might have a house. Pay him, pay him a mozza. There's a house. I, and even going back in time, there was a, a German beer company, I think, that offered any gold medalist free beer for life and that's uh, that for me would certainly make you jump higher faster and stronger but you talk about you talk about funding uh, to to high performance sport and it's, it's been sort of like peaks and troughs right so leading up to sydney was obviously gearing up to a peak because we wanted to do well at our home olympics and then it probably tapered off and then results fell accordingly after what we're seeing in tokyo which we're on track for a record haul of gold medals do you, do you reckon we might see, I guess, more focus, more emphasis placed on Olympic funding or high-performance funding in the run to Brisbane? Yeah, because we're absolutely realising the impact it has on Australia and that um, increased um, confidence. Can you remember back um, uh, Kevin Rudd, uh, 07, Kevin 07, yeah, Kevin I was 07. trying to pull all of that I've got together. the T-shirt. Yeah, Kevin 07. You know, can you remember during that era we, as a country, gave everyone, I think it was something like $700 for an economic boost? Yep. Well, um economists um, did a a correlation between how much money we can give to an Australian versus the impact of winning gold medals and everything and it's poles apart so with um, those economists then turned around and said right if if that um, pickup costs $700, imagine what it costs to get these Olympians and we can actually value the impact of sport and high performance sport but I'd also like to pull it back to Western Australia like some parts of Australia are doing a magnificent job and I would give the gold medal to Queensland without a doubt. Queensland, there's poles apart between Queensland and the other states as far as investment in high performance sport and WA, I would really love um, an absolute overhaul of WA's investment in high performance sport. We've got that $5 billion surplus. We've got some money to spend. Well, I have to say Anastasia Palaszczuk, uh Grand final, we're talking outside of the Olympics, AFL grand final last year. They'll probably host the NRL grand final this year because of COVID, etc. But the Olympics coming their way. Now, you can laugh it off and say, let's be honest, Sal and, and Ben, Olympic Games don't make money in terms of for, for the state and the country because uh, apart from, I think, Sydney might have broken even, Los Angeles going back had the infrastructure in place. They're not a profitable venture. But as you say, it's it's more than that. Huge impact. Um, Im- impact on education, the economy and everything. In Western Australia, we've dropped the ball on high performance. And we think we've got WACE, for instance, but WACE is there to look after WACE as an entity. In WA, we don't have one person, a single point of accountability, looking after high performance in this state. And we really... Mark McGowan, Premier, we (laughs) really need to pick up our game on high-performance sport because of the impact on our people across here in the state. And there's our headline. Yeah, there you go. Mark (laughs) McGowan, state daddy, if you're listening. Uh, And and so let's let's talk hockey again. So who do you think are the main threats for the hockey roos and kookaburras uh, at the pointy end of this tournament, assuming that the uh, the hockey roos get over India? India. First of all, (laughs) India's got to be the big threat, given their 1-0 up. But uh, the Australians are pressing, Sal, and I know you're riding every every bump and every um, chance they get. Uh, It's going to be a tense last half. Just hope they can uh, find an equaliser somewhere. But irrespective, I think they've done a really good job to pull this team together. I know you'd be shattered 
if they don't come away with a medal. But um, I just think they have shown a lot of character to come together and, and the adversity they've come from. I you know, just hope that carries them through the next hour of their uh, hockey lives. Yeah, I've got more than hope on this. I've got my entire heart beat on this because um, in hockey, which is really quite a fascinating um, formula with hockey, that, of course, there's 210 nations that go to these Olympic Games. 105 of them play hockey. It's the second most participated sport in the world. Um, across the, the all the different nations. So you've got 105 nations that wean down here to 16 nations that get into the Olympic Games. So it's four or five years of effort to get there, to beat these other nations to get there. And then, of course, you're coming down into the top eight where we are at the moment, then the top four get into the medal rounds. So when you say which are the nation, you know, the competing nations here, well, there's 105 of them. Then when you get down to the top, you know, six or eight of them, they're, they're, all, all, they're all as good as each other. But in the women, the Dutch, they've just been excellent for, you know, three or four Olympics now. Mm. Well, Sally, do you want to stick around while we talk about the other sports at the Olympics? If I'm still standing, I'll stick around. Aussies in action. Well, we've talked about the gold rush in Tokyo for Aussie athletes. It continued yesterday, a historic day at the Games for us. And if you listen to our chat with sailing gold medalist Tessa Parkinson last week, you might remember she spoke about Aussie Matt Wern being one to watch. She was right. She was indeed. Fantastic result for him and for sailing. And uh, unusual feeling for him, I'm sure, going into that final day of competition, knowing that essentially, unless his boat capsized, he was going to be a gold medalist. So a huge congratulations to him. Uh, outstanding performance. Other news floating around, Aussie water polo captain Aaron Younger, who we spoke to ahead of the Games, has just announced the birth of his daughter, Amelia and Younger with his wife Anna. Anna. So um, better than a gold medal. Absolutely, that's uh, terrific. I wonder. I presume he's still over in Tokyo. So he misses the birth of his. Yeah. Well, oh dearie me, that's unusual for athletes to do that, isn't it? In, but that's, in this day and age, it really is, isn't it? Sal, you're the you're the female in this uh, trifecta. What do you think about that? Well, I didn't miss any of my births, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> boom boom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For female athletes, it's not much of a choice. No, we probably went the wrong way with that one, Penny. But uh, let's get back in our own line. <laughs> yeah, Australia, unfortunately the water polo for the men's lost to Spain 16-5, uh, while the Australian women, though, smashed South Africa 14-1. And what about Peter Boll? Now, the first Aussie, and we're going to claim as a West Australian, by the way, to make the 800 metre final since 1968. There's some magnificent footage floating around of the semi-final when he was cruising, and then his family and friends watching from home and then they posted to Instagram some vision of themselves watching the race. Let's just say they were pretty excited. Let's have a listen to it. <laughs> and that's just that's just his family as he got on the starting blocks. Uh, yeah, yeah. So imagine what happened in the aftermath. But that's a, a remarkable story with uh, with Peter and his background and the adversity he's had to come through to find himself. And Bruce McAvaney has come out and said, "Can win gold." Now Bruce yeah, isn't red hot chance. Bruce isn't someone just to throw out those types of claims without some substance. So uh, Peter Boll, we're thinking of you, and hopefully hopefully we hear more screaming from your family in the next day or two. Yeah, and speaking of athletics, did you watch the 10,000 metres? And doesn't uh, Pat Tiernan just embody the Aussie and Olympic spirit? Do you see that, Sal? Uh, Pat was just struggling to get to the finish line. Uh, he fell to nothing, the ground, essentially. Had nothing tank. left in the tank. Uh, found a way to get to the end of... The, and we've seen that through Olympics over the journey. I mean, going back, I think it might have been Los Angeles, where a sprinter did his hamstring. Mm -hmm. Dad came out 
helped him over the last 100 metres. Really touching moment, and for Pat Tiernan, uh, no result for him. But I'll tell you what, what an extraordinary act of courage to get to the end, which I'm sure he'll look back on with some fondness. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about highlights of the Olympics, Logan Martin, Logan Martin in the uh, BMX freestyle, Unreal. Um, I didn't even know that sort of stuff was possible with a BMX. And I didn't know he had that many tattoos on him. Have you seen the arms? Aren't he just covered from arms? Full sleeves. Absolutely. He's got a, a fair bit of ink on there, but well done to him. Pretty exciting final, by the way, but he makes history, as you said, the first ever men's Olympic gold in BMX freestyle. Of course, when I was growing up, BMX was a bit of fun, but uh, now they're racing at the Olympics. It's a medals to win. And so he, he won it on the basis of his first run, which was so strong. His second run, he could just come out for a bit of showtime and did the uh, the triple bike flip, not even holding onto it, seven metres up in the air. The the bravery you have to attempt that. And having kids, you know, the, well, not little kids, but sort of middle-sized kids, and they're all over this, which is so fascinating, isn't it, for the purists of the Olympic Games. And you go, well, you know, rock climbing, BMXing, etc. But, wow, it's brought a new audience into the Games. Is there any sport that you think that is in the Games at the moment? Oh, don't ask. Oh, just, just, just quickly, off the top of your head, give me one or two. And you're not putting anyone off, because I think we've all got our, our ideas of what maybe, what sports shouldn't be there. Oh, my family is not going to be happy with me, but golf, yep. tennis, mm-hmm. three-on-three basketball. Yeah, big on the three-on-three. I'm not sure why we need to go down that yeah. path. I'd even go so far as to say football, even though I'm loving the Matildas journey and I'm right on them and I'm all over supporting all these athletes in it. But you asked me the question, yep. and the reason why I say that is because the Olympic Games should be the epitome of any sport. So if there's other sporting competitions um, that are even more powerful than the Olympic ones, I'd probably push them out. So basketball goes as well then, really? Uh, do you know you what you're doing? Three three, so no, because I've got some very good and very big friends who would kill me no, if I pulled and, out and I understand that because if you're going to get basketball at the Olympics, well, we've uh, transgressed here a bit, but you, need, you, you can't have just amateurs playing basketball at the Olympics. You need to see... The uh, best of the best. The best of the best. Kevin Durant, uh, all the, the, LeBron. the guns. LeBron. Well, he's not there this time, of course, but all the big yeah, names. He should be. Yeah, but, that's but his you, choice. Okay, well, do you know what's going to be an exhibition sport at the next Olympics? Tell me. Breakdancing. That's Have we jumped the shark if we're including breakdancing? Oh, I'm not buying I don't No, I don't it's, like it. <laughs> I don't no, like it. Not for me. No, no, I'm not a supporter. We want a tap dancing. Seriously, well, tap dancing? No. Well, well if you're going to have breakdancing, you want to have other types of dancing. Nine, Having mind. said that, we've got to, in anything we do, we've got to keep growing, don't we? We've got to keep yeah. developing. And ha- seeing what BMX has done to younger people, good on them. So hopefully I'll eat my words and, um, you know, we... we Good on you, the Olympic Games. Yeah, well, he's, it's he's bringing to, all sorts of people. Yeah, I'm ready to live in the past. He's, he's to winning a gold medal in breakdancing in Paris. <laughs> Give it a spell, Benny. <laughs> and uh, Ash Barty, John Pierce taking bronze in the mixed doubles. Yeah, and uh, of course, that's a, a terrific achievement. Ash didn't quite uh, get the results she wanted in the singles, and uh, not flash of Novak Djokovic the way he bowed out and, and then just, just burnt his doubles partner on the way through and said, no, nah, can't be bothered. Um, by the way, Aussie Jess Hull through to the 1500 metre semi final. She finished second. But take a listen to the person who finished first, Sifan Hassan from the Netherlands. She tripped. She tripped. Yeah. Fell over in her heat. Uh, dropped metres behind her opponents. And then she powered back into the race, not only to just be competitive, she finished first. So that yeah, just shows fright you. Fright or flight, isn't it? The Absolutely. true Olympian. Exactly. The adrenaline must have been <laughs> yeah. pumping after that fall, and she mm. just made the most of it. So let's take a look at where that leaves us on the medal tally. Australia climbed up to fourth, which is really incredible. extraordinary. 14 goals.
Talking about punching outside our weight, Sal, we go back to Melbourne as, as our standout Olympics 56 and then Sydney 2000. For an away Olympics, this is something that I'm not sure any of us saw coming. No, and well, good on you know, good on all the people who are involved in building systems and um, investing family and everything. But of course, it's spirit that's coming out now, and you know we've started off the games very well, and we're just really elevating the the tempo and the the courage of all these Olympians. So good on the athletes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, China now has taken top spot with those twenty four gold medals, fourteen silver, thirteen bronze. The USA and Japan rounding out the top three, but we are sitting very nicely inside that top uh, five as it stands. And if we can just maybe keep the likes of Great Britain behind us, that will give us an even greater degree of satisfaction. There are some countries that you want to beat, don't you? And I'm I'm not a fan of medal counts because you're comparing oranges to apples. So I actually don't really care what one country does versus another. There's a bigger story here. But for Australia to really upkick its performance on top of what's happened over the last few Olympiads, that's that's really fantastic. And just going back to my sole days back in 1988, Australia only won three gold medals in total. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So we're building as a country and well done. And now let's see what else is happening around the Games. That's Tokyo's top moments. A heartbreak for Aussie Brandon Stark in the men's high jump. You know what? It was the greatest men's high jump competition in the history of the Olympics. He cleared 2.35 metres, which is a height that would have won a medal at every Olympic Games ever. Uh, But unfortunately, it was only good for fifth this time around. The top six athletes uh, either broke their national record or jumped a season best. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, the brother of Mitch Stark and the cricketers Rendakar, I think it was, watching uh, Mitch's brother compete in the high jump. Uh, fantastic performance. If you say heartbreak, but really, uh, when you look at the bar, dare I say it, how high it was set in that particular event, uh, he'll take fifth every day of the week. It was massive. It was a brilliant competition. Did you see how the gold medal was decided? We want to touch on that because I, I'm still not convinced that's the way it should be decided <laughs> with, of course, uh, uh, the Italian and the Qatar athlete both clearing 237, locked on that, and then they got together, there was an official uh, by their side, and they decided amongst themselves to to share the gold. I, I'm not sure that that works for me. You, sir? It was really bizarre. I've never seen it in any serious sporting competition. It was over and done within, what, eight seconds? Like, the referee said, you both can have the gold medal. And they looked at each other. What, both? You Why know, whatever. You? Both, both. And then they nodded at each other and said, yes, we'll both take it. And they just both jumped for joy. And it was really bizarre. Beautiful way. <laughs> it was beautiful. I'm but my gosh, I'm not competitive. that's an option. No one knew it was an option. It was because they all jumped the same pattern all the way through because you know how you have to, you only have a certain amount of attempts in in these jumping events and their patterns were exactly the same. Surely there's a a jump off, uh, you know, anything. That was the choice. The ref said, do you want to keep going or do you want to... But why should they have the choice? Surely a bit like in in, in basketball, extra time, extra time, penalties. Instead of a penalty shootout, we're just going to give both teams the gold. Having having said that, you're right. So quite extraordinary scenes with both athletes, uh, hysterical with joy. And and, and look, it's different games and that was a different moment, no question about that. (laughs) And then let's talk about the 100 metres, the The, blue ribbon event. The Italians, the the first time ever. (laughs) Didn't see him coming, that's for sure. Marcel Jacobs, of course... I don't think it's been three Olympics since uh, anyone but Usain Bolt has been at the the front of the queue there, but the world's fastest man, uh, 9.8 seconds. uh, No no slouch. Italy's going okay. They've got the Euro uh, title back at home. They've got the the high jump gold and now the the fastest man on the planet. You know what I really loved about that too, and this is going back to your conversation about um, athletes 
coming home to have children as well. He's a father of three. Now, all these um, 100 metre runners, especially the men, we've seen them and they're flamboyant and, you know, you don't sort of get the impression that they're family, normal people. (laughs) And he's just won this beautiful, huge... Um, Italian runner who could actually, you know, be full forward for West Coast Eagles this weekend. Uh, they might need three of them at the moment. <laughs> but he is just a beast of a runner. And then they announced that he um, has three children, one of which has only just recently been born back at home. And I just thought, yep, he's a real person. I loved it. And just let's see what he does in the long jump because that's his, that's his stock event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just fascinating to see. Uh, good result for the hundred. And just remember, Rowan Browning uh, didn't make the final in the end, but ten oh one, I think he ran. He he caught the attention of Australians in a heartbeat and uh, it's a great glimpse of perhaps what might be coming for him in Paris in a few years. So, what under Browning and his mullet? Yeah, acquitted himself very well, I thought. Uh, and uh, Gianmarco Tamberi, the high jump uh, winner that we just talked about, you know, he suffered an ankle injury just weeks before Rio. He was told he might never be able to compete again. So, for him to come out, uh, get a, his cast from his broken ankle, and use it as fuel for his high jump win, I thought was pretty special. It was, and uh, you saw him after the uh, the victory and just <laughs> displaying that around the, uh, the stadium. Absolutely, almost now. Uh, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to ask you this question now, Sal. Did you see the Tom Daly vision of uh, the the diver, the superstar diver from uh, Great Britain? He was in the stands with the women's uh, springboard final in play, and he was doing some knitting, which is he's very, very gifted at that part of uh, his, his hobby, but he loves knitting. And so here he is. Mind you, no GB athletes were competing in the women's springboard final. So... Uh, we've seen all sorts of sights, and there it is, Tom Daly, up in the stands, knitting. Well, talking about the younger generation following the games, he's the one. He's the one. So the younger generation are following him because he's so authentic. He's telling his own story, his own journey, and all the younger um, you know, spectators around the world are following him because he is who he is, and that our young generation really like that. I think he was knitting a cosy for his medal. Yeah, a cosy for his medal and a jumper for his dog as well, I think. But it's an interesting point, Sally, because one thing that we've seen this Olympics is the real rise of social media by the athletes, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever it might be. How much different do you think that is to your day? How how different would it have been if you'd had social media back in Seoul and Barcelona? We would have been in a lot of trouble is all I can say. You learn pretty quickly though, Sal, but you're right. It's like, it's a, I sometimes I think, is it a blessing or a curse that we grew up in an era where phones were just coming into vogue and everything in your life wasn't documented? Uh, now they do it most of the time for good, but there's that uh, fine line that athletes and everyone crosses at times. At times. At times. <laughs> Many times, I dare say. But, um, you know, and this is the things about our lovely BMX um, medal. He has just got the most magnificent following. Peter Bowl, you talked about before, he's been um, documenting his journey all the way through. And, of course, he's got a fantastic story to tell. So it is another way for everybody to get involved and really get down and dirty with these people and understand that they are people. Oh, well, let's talk about what's coming up. The big one, the Matildas, will take on world number five and reigning Olympic silver medalist Sweden in the semi-finals tonight. Absolutely. Now, Sam Kerr, such an important figure in that Matildas lineup, uh, thought she might have a bit of an injury uh, concern. So whether she starts on the bench remains to be seen, but they need her up and running. 
Just going back to Friday night, uh, hard not to be just overwhelmed with the excitement of that victory over uh, Great Britain in, in extra time and all the drama that went with it. Oh, it was just a beautiful, fantastic game. Had everything and we did. We all ran along with it and, you know, you're just about wrapping up at full time and bang, Sam Kerr steals it back. It was wonderful. Perfect. Uh, so keeping an eye for that tonight. That's 7pm and then uh, your remote control is going to be going back and forth because the Kookaburras have got Germany in the semi-finals at 6 o'clock our time. I did say they'd go through undefeated. They've got to get through against the Netherlands, albeit um, at the death, with some some heart uh, palpitations against uh, the Dutch. So tonight, Germany, I expect them to go to another level. As uh, time starts to tick away for the Hockey Roussel, I think it's still 1-0. And uh, if they lose, it's all over. If they can tie this up at 1-all, we're going to go to extra time, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, you don't in hockey. It's straight through to the shootout. Shootout. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Is that much better than the old penalty stroke because you actually have a proper competition, a one-on-one competition. So that's absolutely wonderful. Let's hope they don't get to that stage and we need a Sam Kerr moment um, for the Hockey Roos. But the um, Kookaburras, um, wow, they're playing, you know, with this problem with Germany. German, the German team has just always come good at the Olympic Games and it's very, very scary. Mm. And then Artistic Swimming starts tonight, 6pm, and you can go back and have a listen to our trailer episode when we spoke to WA swimmer uh, Amy Thompson. That was Remember that, Skeet? That was fantastic. Yeah, and just asking some of those um, silly questions you and I both had <laughs> of the sport and just a bit naive, but she was very generous in her answers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so much tougher than it looks, I think. Uh, the, the athletic ability you need to perform those manoeuvres while uh, head underwater, it's just absolutely incredible. Uh, the women's duet Artistic Swimming from 6.30pm tonight. Absolutely. Uh, the Opals up against Puerto Rico from 8pm. Needless to say, the Opals, uh, they simply have to win, non-negotiable. Things have to go their way from here on in, but they have to get a W tonight against uh, Puerto Rico to give themselves any chance of progressing. And then this is uh, an event, I think, that the eyes of the world will be on. It raises a lot of issues, I guess, around uh, competitive fairness in sport. Uh, New Zealand, of course, uh, qualified a trans weightlifter in the 87-kilo medal event tonight. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Like um, there's, there's, there's some societal issues around equality that have to be taken seriously and respected because we know the trans community have battled stigma uh, and discrimination uh, from day dot. Uh, there are also female lifters who think it's unfair to compete against someone who was born a man. Well, the only thing I can compare it to is in Australian rules football where a lady called Hanny, Hannah Mouncey trying to play in the AFLW uh, denied because of her size. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a difficult one, Sally. I'm not sure what your view, if you have one on it, but um, inclusivity is what we're about as a society, but also a fairness. Uh, how you balance that is always going to be problematical. There's been a um, research done come out of um, the UK about a year ago, um, and they... Um interviewed gold medalists around Australia and there's two that were interviewed in Australia and I was one of them and we had to answer all these questions about what we thought and exactly that um, obviously we want to help all people grow and develop as um, themselves but also um, draw a line in the sand for rules for the Olympic Games and the results from that research came out that you actually have to have three competitions male female and then that um, intersex yeah yeah is and there the enough uh, sorry enough competitive athletes to to 
that was, as I said, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it, um, but that that was the the philosophy that came out of this research. And the reason being is because as... um, you're changing, so a male to female, which is where the problem area is. As you're changing, you have a period of time um, to have your, um, you know, hormones hormones rebalanced, and it's something like one and a half years until you're at a particular measure. But let's say you're a 21 year old going through that, and you're now 23, able to, to participate. You've actually had 21 years of growing a body mm. that is obviously stronger, bigger, you know, fitter, faster, stronger, sort of thing. So. Um, you know, th- these experts said, no, nah, it's actually not a, pl- a fair playing field. Well, in the case of Laurel Hubbard from New Zealand, uh, she competed as a male uh, in weightlifting as a teen uh, and then quit the sport for around 15 years, transitioned and now competes as a woman. So I guess did build a body size, muscle mass, that sort of thing mm. as a teen competing as a male uh, and met the guidelines from the IOC around hormone levels mm-hmm. to compete as a woman. But... I, I could simultaneously see why female lifters in that yeah. competition would feel, you know, maybe there's just something not quite fair about this. It's a very, very hard one to decide yep. upon. No easy answer at all to that. Uh, unfortunately, we can't give you the, the definitive because there is not one out there, Ben. Mm. And if Laurel wins a medal, it's, that uh, debate is only going to get hotter. Absolutely. Um, by the way, we also have Australia's uh, Charisma Amol Tarrant competing this evening as well. Tomorrow, it rolls on. The game's in Tokyo, and a bit to look forward to there as well, Benny. Yeah, massively. Uh, We've got uh, through to the last 16 of the Women's Beach Volleyball Tournament after beating China in straight sets. That's going to be a massive one on the sands. Yeah, uh, Maria Atacha de Sola and uh, Taliqua Clancy are through to the last 16. Don't worry, Ben, I'll not say the names. You just uh, (laughs) hand pass the looping hospital ball to me. That's the Women's Beach Volleyball. Uh, They beat China in straight sets, by the way, and the Aussies will now face either a Spanish or Canadian duo on Tuesday. That's tomorrow, August the 3rd. And we'll see Brooke Stratton in the women's long jump final. Absolutely. Uh, another chance for Australia to uh, find a, an athlete for the future, or even of the present, if they can uh, produce a personal best or beyond that would be terrific. And just quickly updating in minutes remaining, Sal, I think it's uh, under three, if you can uh, tell on the, the screen, the seventh screen. And uh, Australia trailing 1-0, but... Uh, unfortunately, time is slipping away from the hockey roos as they try to keep their their campaign alive over there. But they might have a, a chance here, is it? Yes. Corner coming to the Australian. So that would be uh, a fitting way to get us through to full-time. I'll take one all. I'm, you're saying we don't want to go to the, uh, the shootout. No, I'll take I'll, one I'll all. Take one all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, t- I'm taking one all at the moment, Sal. Uh, but this could be the pivotal moment in this match between Australia and India. Well, we'll keep an eye on that as we keep going. Uh, the Boomers take on Argentina. Absolutely, and uh, we know that, uh, unfortunately, they've lost Aaron Baines to that neck injury, but they have been in pretty good form. So I expect uh, a tight game, this one, because Argentina are talented in their own right, but uh, the Boomers just hopefully they keep making enough ground to consolidate that spot in the semis and then obviously work their way from there. Yeah, exactly. Superstar Paddy Mills was a bit slow uh, out of the blocks in the last game against Germany, gave a chance for the young players to come through. So I reckon that holds them in pretty good stead for the rest of the tournament. I reckon those young fellas are really making some key contributions. No doubt about that, but of course the Americans just started to crank it up their last start <laughs> against the Czech Republic. They uh, just piled on the points for fun in the end, so uh, the, the Americans still the team to beat, there's no question about that. Yep, and then uh, and the women's water polo, quarter-final, Australia versus the Russian Olympic Committee. Yes. Uh, so, you know, get through that one, we're looking very good. Absolutely. Um, 
we'll try and obviously, hopefully, see if the Australians can get through here. Sal, I can almost feel the the heart pumping out of her chest, and uh, they, they're pressing. They're doing a lot of attacking in this game against India, but unfortunately, just not able to to hit the back of the net. So, uh, have it's they got all? It's all hockey ruse. It's just con- we use the term penetration. So we're just penetrating the the circle non-stop. We just can't get the damn thing in there. They've got a corner coming up here, by the way. So we'll try and uh, with the uh, the blue. Uh, background. Uh, talk us through this, Sal. I haven't been able to get a clean shot away initially. No, it's still, it's just going around and around and around all the teams. They're scra- absolutely scratching right in front of the goals. Is it getting desperate now? It is getting saying? desperate. Because I can't see, you see. They're the almost at on home. their knees trying to get it there in that goal. There are six players mm. on the goal line, essentially, just mm. trying to find a way through India, survive, get it out of their defensive area. But uh, yes, the hockey roos just pressing as hard as they can to get that equaliser. There's way too much deja vu going on in my body right this second and I'm really feeling for them. Uh, and in a situation like this when you know it's do or die, you've got a corner, you're throwing everything you can, and including the kitchen sink uh, at scoring, what's going through your head? What are you looking for? No, it's just you're just playing with grit, and unfortunately, when you go into that stage, you sort of start um, losing your thinking, and and mm. yeah, because you are absolutely desperate at this stage, just trying to get that little white thing across that line in those uh, rectangular goals. Do you put, sometimes risk pushing it a little bit too much. That's it. Yeah. You lose, and we we get taught as athletes um, to play with um, positive and happy emotion, but not. Uh, overly emotive state and these hockey roos would have gone into that emotive state right so now. So just on two minutes remaining, uh, at what stage does does the Rachel Lynch, for instance, or the keeper push up the field and, and, and just try to create... She's gone off? Okay. No, she, at that particular point She'll in time, as a coach, they'll they would pull off. them off yep. and you'd pl- be playing with 11 field hockey but that's, players. So rolling the dice completely, which yep. they're at that point now, surely, mm. with... Uh, about 90 seconds remaining. The Indians, uh, for their part, just have to hold on and the hockey roos have to find uh, almost a miracle from here, Benny, to uh, advance. Yeah, and to be a really nice person, which I'm not very often nice, <laughs> but I'm going to take a breath and let's say India does does win and pretend they're not playing the hockey roos to do this. Kudos to India. Like The Indian men um, have won the gold medal for probably, I think it's about eight times um, since men started in 1912 so the Indian women for them to be progressing into the medal rounds unbelievable throw on top of what India as a country has been going through for the last year and a half absolute congratulations to India they're coached by a Dutch male Dutch midfielder so they've actually you know they've they're going for it the Indian women and they've never like I'd never have been beaten beaten by India before so this is big yeah it's been uh, mm. the history says the hockey roo is such a wonderful record but the this the vision on the sidelines of the Australian players uh, 30 seconds to go you can tell the stress on them they perhaps realize now that it's just about over so um, the Indians as Sally Carbon said has just been terrific today just so defensively sound and uh, they've had to wait a fair while to get the better of Australia but it looks like they're going to advance and the Hockey Roos Tokyo campaign about to come to an end and uh, the second's about to do just that. And what's that feeling like, Sally? Yeah, like, I've got it now. Yeah. When, yes. you, when, it's, when you know that, that dream of Olympic success it's over. Has, is over. It's, it's one nil. Away. It's done. Yeah, you actually don't think it's going to be over. So this is an, um, usually... You know, when you're sort of facing a disaster, let's call spot sport a disaster, you're, you're building up, you know where you're going. But in the case of the Hockey Roos, they've been going in the exact opposite direction. They've been magnificent five out of five round matches going in the other direction. So your feeling is one of anticipation and happiness. They've just had this brick wall hit right in front of them. Their campaign is over. 
and the vision of the Indians celebrating is is terrific. But the other side of sport, and whether it's Australia or any other country, the ladies on their haunches, going near no other teammate for the time being, just having that moment to yourself completely distraught. And again, it is just sport, but it is what they've worked for for so many years. And uh, unfortunately, the journey ends right now, and uh, it's going to take a bit to digest, but um, the sun will come up, Sal. About 20 years later. <laughs> it will come and, up. And how hard is it, Sal, do you think, that <laughs> that now, you know, normally at Olympics you might get to stay, have the closing ceremony and heal those wounds a little bit and, I guess, absorb what an experience it is to just make it to an Olympics? They're not going to get that. They'll be on a plane in the next couple of days back to Australia. In, in quar- Into quarantine. Mm. Yeah, so it's down then, down then, down. It's just a terrible um, run for them now. But what they've got to do is they've got to be really good around the village for two days and that's something that we, you know, we absolutely got told to do. So when we're just absolutely disappointed and we're crying, I can remember in Barcelona, we are actually sitting in the windows of the um, village in Barcelona when the same thing happened to us. We were actually in the windows crying our eyes out and we got told off and said that you've got other athletes here you've got to think of and you've got to keep your spirits up for everybody else. So this is going to be a very hard thing for them. Well, you're crying back then. I can tell you now there's plenty of tears for the Australians, uh, but congratulations to India. 1-0 winners over the Hockey Roos. And and kudos to them, as Sal said. It's been an outstanding performance. Um, The... Hockey ruse, terrific through the tournament, but once you reach the knockout stage, India, I think, only won two in a row, but guess what? They're through, Australia isn't. Yep, Sally Carbon, Olympic gold medalist and absolute hockey legend. Thank you for coming in and talking to us today. We really appreciate your insights. We wish that we could have had a happier ending. That's the way sport goes. Yep, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? And that's it from us today on Let's Go Tokyo. Tune in tomorrow and we'll have more Olympic action and more Olympians. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.